All right, time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Was out of town. What, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? Seems like an eternity ago, an eon ago. It's kind of one of the joys of uh, having two jobs. <laughs> one that pays the bills and the other one that you get to pay to do. <laughs> All right. Well, we've, we're back. So we've got, we got some good stuff that we're going to be tackling today. A lot happened while I was out. Uh, Rick Warren has been out on the uh, the plug his new book circuit, and uh, the best way I can describe it is it seems like every time Rick Warren leaves uh, Lake Forest and heads out to New York City or heads out to go on his book tour to promote and plug his book uh, or books or his latest thinking or whatever he's up to, he leaves kind of a wake of destruction in his path. And <laughs> what we're going to do today is something that's almost a little bit unfair. Yeah, I know this is going to be terrible. We're going to basically we're going to be listening to some uh, some basically listening to Rick Warren's appearance on different uh, programs. The Today Show being one of them, and on Hannity and Combs. Get this on Hannity and Combs. Jesus tell, told Alan Combs to uh, try Jesus for sixty days. Give him a, give Jesus a sixty day trial. Ay 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 So we're gonna we're gonna talk about that, but we're gonna ask the basic question. Um, does Jesus come with a warranty? Yeah, well, apparently he does. Okay. You know, and and not only that, if you act now, if you try Jesus for 60, 60 free days, then what we will do is we'll even throw in a free lube and oil and a tire rotation. <laughs> you know, you just don't. You, we got to be relevant, man. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to play the, the the Rick Warren appearances, and we're going to play. We're then going to play something from uh, Joel Osteen. Uh, this is a while ago. Joel Osteen appeared on uh, Larry King Live with his wife, uh, uh, Heresy Barbie. And uh, and it, we're going to basically ask the question, what do Joel Osteen and Rick Warren have in common? And uh, that ought to just prove to be all kinds of fun. Um, <laughs> so we'll see how that how that goes. Um, but uh, before we get into uh, Rick Warren and, and other things... Uh, by the way, thank you for the emails expressing concern. You know, hey, where did where did Fighting for the Faith go? Yeah, unfortunately, from time to time, I have to go out of town. So if they're playing a best of show uh, at Pirate Christian Radio, best of shows mean Chris is either out on business or he's finally decided to take a vacation, which is probably never going to happen. You know, I would what you know what we ought to do. We ought to do a remote broadcast from Sandals in Jamaica. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, but if I did that, then people would be saying, why am I supporting Pirate Christian Radio so you can go to Sandals? <laughs> <laughs> so you know what I'll do is I'll just, you know, one of these days I'll take a vacation and we'll go from there. But um, so we, we but, funny enough, we've got a news story, and it's a follow-up news story to something that we actually talked about a while ago. Now, the headline is going to sound familiar. Why is it going to sound familiar? Because it's a headline that we covered, but... I've got to give kudos to this uh, to this group because they went back and redid their press release and uh, and the news coverage that they've got about this I think is positive. So uh, let's uh, cue up the uh, the the news music. Here we go. Here's our headline: U.S. Christians called to celebrate Christmas without Bibles. Does that sound familiar, John? To you? It does. It does. Well, funny enough, 
you know, what happened, just a little bit of history here. Um, back in the middle of November, we covered this, and we covered it from the point of view, uh, we, we read the press release that went across the Christian Newswire. And by the way, uh, we here at Pirate Christian Radio, we monitor the Christian Newswire, you know, religiously, because it helps us stay relevant. <laughs> but uh, back in the middle of uh, November... We covered this, and we took issue with it. Why? Because this Christian group was encouraging people to go without their Bibles for a week. And my contention was, well, with the current state of affairs in Christianity, encouraging Christians to go without their Bible for a week, to me, is just crazy talk. Okay, And uh, the author of the press release emailed me and took umbrage with the fact that I took umbrage with their press release. Well, guess what? They actually went back and redid their press release, and I like the second version. Now, the second version still has kind of the same headline, but the difference is, and this is really important, is, uh, in fact, let me read this. This is from the Christian Post. They picked up the story. Christian Post writes, A Christian literature ministry is calling on believers in America to not only celebrate this Christmas without a Bible in hand, but also to clear their shelves of many of the Bibles that they may have. Now, you're thinking, wait, wait a second, you don't want to have Bibles in hand, but let me read on here. It says, quote, If American Christians were willing to keep one family Bible and send the rest of their Bibles overseas, millions more people would be exposed to the life-changing effects of God's Word, explained Fred Palmerton, Executive Director of Christian Resources International, in an announcement that he made. As, as for celebrating Christmas without a Bible, CRI is hoping that more American Christians will try to memorize the scripture, and become more aware of the hardships encountered by believers overseas, many of which are without a Bible, while the average U.S. Christian has about nine Bibles. Now, this, see, what he's trying to do here, here, he's trying to get people to donate their Bibles so that they can send them overseas to people who really need them. You know, what's the point of all of us Christians here in America having, you know, nine Bibles cluttering our shelves? No. You know, my problem is is that most of my Bibles are not computerized, so it wouldn't really help me to. I'd have to send a computer over, you know. But but then we had licensing issues because there, never mind. But anyway, so so what he did is they went back and they redid this press release, and rather than saying going without your Bibles, what they instead emphasized was the importance of memorizing Scripture. To which I would say, Amen. And um, and that being the case, you know, this they're, they're, yeah, I think that this is a very well thought through second version of this press release. And, um, you know, so much so that um, yeah, I'm going to go look at my bookshelf and find some of my old dusty Bibles and I'm going to send it to this these uh, these people. I think this is a good idea. So, folks, um, you know, I've, I'm going to go ahead and throw my hat behind the ring. Why? Because I like to see people grow because I have to grow myself, too. I have to do it all the time, but hopefully not outward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, tis the season for that. Yeah, I no kidding. No what is it with the Christmas holiday season? I mean, it, I got back from my business trips and then it was three parties on three consecutive days. You know, we had our, we had our uh, we had our Christmas party for uh, Ventegrity and for Pyre Christian Radio, which we did at the Grand California Hotel in uh, which is part of the Disneyland Resort there and it was a, it was a fine dinner. That was some good food, man. And uh, and they and we had a little pirate theme going on. They actually wheeled in some of the props from the uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. Now these looked like they were retired props, not the current props. But yet you could tell that these props were had spent some time in in the Pirates of the Caribbean ride itself. And of course, you know that was really exciting. 
and then we had we had a, a birthday party on Saturday, and then we had a Christmas party on Sunday. And you know, I, I looking at our calendar, we've got more partying to do. I'm I'm going to need the entire month of January just to recover from all the Christmas parties <laughs> that we've got to go to. Holy. Yeah, I, I did two parties also. You did? Yeah. Yeah. So you know, if you're if you're experiencing party fatigue, I'm with you, folks. <laughs> Yeah. And I have a party a week for the next two weekends. You do? You yes. have a party per week. Yeah. Say, so My wife, the keeper of all party knowledge, has, has informed me that there's there's still some stuff coming down the pike. You know? So, you know, what is it about December and partying, man? All right. Anyway, going back to uh, Christian Resources International, um, they've got a website that uh, – let me see if I can find the name of the of – the, I'll put a link up to it at uh, – at uh, fightingforthefaith.com. So, if you would like to participate in this, and that is, you know, spend one Sunday this this uh, December between parties, finding some time to memorize uh, the scripture. Actually, you know, this makes a lot of sense if, like, you you attend a church where you have a lectionary. You know, rather than uh, having your Bible with you, memorize the passage ahead of time for that week, and uh, and then send your spare Bibles that are collecting dust and doing nothing to this outreach so that they can get them into the hands of our brothers and sisters overseas who don't have Bibles. And, they, and you know, and uh, you know, hopefully they know English. So, anyway. All right, I'll put a link up to that at fightingforthefaith.com. Excited to see that they've, they've revamped their press release to not emphasize going without a Bible, but to, if you, you know, to make it so that you can experience the same things that our Christian brothers overseas experience, and that is not only do they not have a Bible, but they're required to... Uh, well, memorize God's word, which you know, that's that's a tough thing to do. I, what was that? What, do you remember the name of that movie where um, it was kind of a futuristic somehow in the future thing, and and they didn't have books, but everyone memorized them instead. I don't remember that movie. You don't remember that movie? Uh, somebody will email me with this information. I'm sure of it. Um, all right, let me pull up the Museum of Idolatry now. We're going to switch gears. And today's show, I, I don't think we're going to go the full two hours today, but it just depends. I it, We just might. <laughs> you never know. That's the thing with this show, folks, is that this is the show that, show that your pastor warned you about. This is the one that could cause you to uh, think critically about what you're being fed from the pulpit. Although, you know what? I did. You know what I've got lined up here. I Let me put this in my notes here. We got to do the sermon review on uh, Kung Fu Panda. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> we, uh, I, I was, you know, I was, you know, preparing our sermon reviews here, and literally, I've got a sermon review now. Kung Fu Panda just came out on DVD, but I, from Relevant Church, this Relevant Church is the church that brought us the, the original Thirty Day Sex Challenge. In fact, they should probably put that on their uh, website. The church that was that brought you the original. You know, multi-day sex challenge. Um, they did that back in January. Well, over the summertime, you know, they did sermons on Wally and on Kung Fu Panda and some other things. And so, you know, now that Kung Fu Panda is out on DVD, you know, I think it's completely relevant that we go back and and uh, do a sermon review on Kung Fu Panda. I have no idea what this has to do with God's word, but I wish I was making that up. So we might actually get to the Kung Fu Panda. Um, Sermon review today. It just really depends on how long we go on this next segment. All right, so let me set this up for you. Um, Rick Warren of Saddleback Church, the author of The Purpose Driven Life, has uh, written a new best-selling book called The Purpose of Christmas. 
and he's out, you know, doing the uh, the book tour, making the rounds on all of the news shows, and uh, he appeared on the Today Show. He appeared on Hannity and Combs. He appeared on Geraldo last night. Which was really funny because the the way they cut up that uh, the answers to that uh, interview, it wasn't really religious, you know. So you know, I I, I have this way Geraldo kind of covered it, although that was really weird. It, there was there was some church choir up there, the Stop Shopping Choir. I kid you not. I should probably bring that in and play that tomorrow. Anyway, so um, this is uh, this is audio from Rick Warren's appearance on the Today Show, and I, we're, we're just gonna ask the question, okay? Real quick, you know, Christmas, right? John, you, you familiar with the story? You know, God Himself comes to Earth in human flesh, born in a manger, right? Why did Christ come to Earth? It wasn't for presents. No, it wasn't for presents. Okay, that's a good non-answer. Um, you know. <laughs> As I read the story, Christ is born. He's God in human flesh. He uh, basically lives his life sinlessly. He lives, you know, to be 33 years old as a man, and he he achieves a sinless, perfectly sinless life, right? And uh, he dies for the sins of the whole world and to propitiate God's wrath. And the call of the gospel is, you know, it, it basically, you know, that you know, to repent and believe the good news. So the God, for, so Christmas time is really kind of the first real tangible uh, uh, pieces of the story that we get of, of God entering history. You know, uh, uh, this good news that unto us is born a savior, right? And uh, which, again, you know, that just even that sentence, you know, unto you is born a savior. There's all kinds of theological implications that go with that. What's a savior and why do I need one? Right. You know, and what's what's the gospel message? Well, let's see how Rick does in his interview on the Today Show. And um, I think he's doing this with Matt Lauer. Yeah. Whether it's craving long shopping lines or attending yet another party, the holidays can sometimes feel more like a burden than a celebration. So how do you keep the holiday spirit alive? Oh, well, see, there we go. See, I'm, I'm all partied out already. How do you keep the holiday spirit alive? <laughs> oh, that's a, you got to get buy Rick Warren's book, The Purpose of Christmas. That's how you do it. Rick Warren is the pastor of the Lake Forest, California megachurch Saddleback and the author of the bestseller, The Purpose Driven Life. His new book is the purpose of Christmas. Rick, and you told me to call you Rick. I did. Good morning. Nice to have Good you morning, here. Matt. Thanks. It's, it's, it's amazing. Stress. People always talk about stress at this time of year. Yeah. i got to shop. i got to spend yeah. money. i got to go to party. You know, I was complaining about that earlier. This is this is like hitting me. I'm, this was geared right for my demographic, the over-partied fat white guy segment of the U.S. population. This is supposed to be the celebration of the birth of Jesus. Yeah, that's right, Matt. And, you know, the truth is we uh, we often get sidelined by all of the other things. That's, it is a celebration that God sent Jesus to earth to solve our biggest problem. But, okay, okay, so God sent Jesus to earth to solve our biggest problem. No. Well, it depends on how you just, <laughs> how are you defining our biggest problem? I guess I would, you know, I'm sitting there going, okay, so Jesus is the big problem solver from the sky okay it, this is just weird language when it comes to christianity Let, let's see how he plays this out uh we often don't accept the gift you know if you gave me a christmas gift we don't accept the gift so god sent jesus as a gift to solve our biggest problem we often don't accept the gift 
Folks, have you ever heard of Pelagianism or semi-Pelagianism? Yep, you ever heard those terms? Now, being a good Lutheran, okay, Lutherans are confessional. We actually have confessions of faith. And one of our primary confessions of faith is known as the Augsburg Confession. Now, just so you understand here, I'm not saying the Augsburg Confession is uh, the Bible. It's not, but I do believe unreservedly that the Augsburg Confession co- correctly interprets and summarizes uh, the teachings of Scripture and the central and core doctrines of Christianity. Okay. Now, regarding original sin, this is very interesting. The Augsburg Confession says this. It says, It is also taught among us that since the fall of Adam, all men who are born according to the course of nature are conceived and born in sin. Okay. Remember, the reason why you sin is because you are a sinner by nature. That's what we sinners do. We sin. That is, all men are full of evil lust and inclinations from their mother's womb and are unable by nature to have true fear of God and true faith in God. Okay? Um, Moreover, this inborn sickness and hereditary sin is truly sin, and it condemns to the eternal wrath of God all those who are not born according to Uh, born again through baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, rejected in this connection are the Pelagians and others who deny that original sin is sin, for they hold that natural man is made righteous by his own powers, thus disparaging the sufferings and merits of Christ. So let's get this out on the table here. Christians, we've got to clean up our language here. Okay, so if Jesus came to earth to solve our biggest problem and we don't accept the gift, well, um, Rick, by nature we can't accept the gift. That would mean I could somehow make myself right with God by my own merits, by my own efforts. And that's not what the scriptures teach. In fact, um, <clears throat> if you – by the way, you know, let me give you some uh, – Pelagianism and semi-Pelagianism; those are some big words. We gotta, we gotta unpack them. Pelagianism is a heresy, okay? That uh, and and it was uh, put out there by a monk during the fourth century, and Augustine wrote against Pelagius rather effectively, okay? And so much so that the church rejected Pelagianism, and and, and you know one of its church councils, you know, literally clearly said Pelagianism is a heresy. Pelagianism, just so you know, is the belief that original sin did not taint human nature, which being created from God was divine. You know, you got to listen to that. You got a lot of people out there running around the landscape today saying things like you were created in God's image. Okay, they they don't believe that original sin taints human nature. And if you tell somebody who's not a Christian yeah, oh, well, you are creating God's image. You just need to make better decisions. You need to make a decision for Jesus. That's Pelagius talk. That's Pelagian talk right there, okay? And that, more, and that the mortal will is still capable of choosing good or evil without divine aid. Thus, Adam's sin was to set a bad example for his uh, progeny, but his actions did not have uh, the other consequences imputed to original sin. So Pelagianism views the role of Jesus as setting a good example. For the rest of humanity, thus counteracting Adam's bad example. In short, humanity it has full control and thus full responsibility for its own salvation in addition to full responsibility for every sin. That's what Pelagianism is, and it's a heresy. It's a rejected heresy. It contradicts the clear words of God. Now, semi-Pelagianism basically says that, okay, well, in our nat- in, in, in original sin, we, we hurt, we, we wounded um, 
our 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 nature so much so that we're almost dead but not quite. We're still capable of responding, and you just got to make a decision. No, that semi-Pelagianism is also rejected. Okay, so um, just so you know, um, semi-Pelagianism is the rampant, predominant teaching in American in American evangelicalism. Make a decision for Jesus. Choose God. Accept his gift. Things like that. But notice what's missing here in Rick's uh, call here is anything that has to do really with sin, nailing people to the wall for their sin, and then uh, and then calling them to repentance and faith. Okay? Um, so, by the way, there's a couple of passages that are really cool. Um, John six forty four says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Well, the Greek word there, John six forty four, is helkuo, and helkuo literally, uh, it, it's to move an object from one area to another by pulling motion or drawing, with the implication that the object being moved is incapable of propelling itself, or in the case of persons, is unwilling to do so voluntarily. So um, Jesus in uh, John six forty four says, "No one can come to me unless the Father draws him." Imagine, if you would, that we're statues, and this is really the implication of the word helkuo, is that you're a statue and God is taking ropes and throwing them around you and pulling you towards him, okay? And you're not capable of doing so on your own. Or John six sixty five, Jesus, uh, he went on to say that, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him, okay? You, are, you cannot choose God. God chooses you. And how does God draw us? How does God give us faith? It's through the proclamation of the gospel, and I would even say through the means of grace, you know, in baptism. So here we, here we go. Okay, so Rick Warren here is, ta- is saying that, you know, we've got this great gift from God, but uh, we're not accepting it, but Jesus came to solve our biggest problem. Well, what's our problem, Rick? What's the problem that God came to solve, or Christ came to solve? And uh, you came over a year later, and you said, how'd you like my gift? And I go, well, I'm sure it's great, but I didn't have time to open it. <laughs> You'd be offended, and I'd miss the blessing of it. And a lot of people go through Christmas and never open the gift, God's gift to us. See, I don't want to sound like an angel here, and yeah. I've been carried away with the commercial side of the holidays just yeah. as much as anybody else yeah. has. But it's almost as if at every cash register, at every store across the country, you should have the title of your book that says, oh, in question form, what is the purpose of Christmas yeah. before you're allowed to charge something on a credit card? Yeah, well, that's the reason I wrote the book. I think it's for, I, I, I wrote it to be given to people to think about uh, whether you're a skeptic or a seeker or a believer. What, what's, why do we do this thing? Why is is history divided into A.D. and B.C. by this event? Every, I mean, even people who don't accept uh, Jesus Christ, they still use uh, 2008 as the reference point. Well, but you, you bring up a good point. You say whether you're a skeptic, a cynic, or, or a yeah. believer. Do you have to be a devout Christian to get the true meaning of the holiday? Oh, well, I think so. I think you have to understand that Jesus Christ came for your greatest benefit. It's like unwrapping the gift to him. <sighs> Jesus came for your greatest benefit. Okay. Now we did a full. I did a full blown review of uh, this book and explained why I wouldn't recommend it, especially considering the scripture twisting that's involved in this book. But now we've got Rick Warren basically saying that uh, God, uh, Christ came to solve your biggest problem, and Christ came for your greatest benefit. Me, it's me centered. Um, okay. I mean, I, I. Listen, I do sales and marketing. In, in the corporate world, I came up through the sales and marketing ranks. I know all about you know the, princi- the principle of WIFM. You ever heard of that, WIFM? 
what's in it for me, okay? When you're selling something, when you're pitching something, when you're marketing a product or service, people want to know what's in it for them, right? Rick Warren here is doing the WIFM approach. What's in it for me? Oh, Christ came for your greatest benefit. Came to solve your greatest problem. Wow, that sounds great. What? Well, what is my greatest benefit? What is my greatest problem? The bottom line of Christmas is you matter to God. He made you. He loves you, and He sent uh, Himself to Earth so we can know what He's like. All right. So, so, sent Himself to Earth so we can know what He's like. God apparently is about you know six foot one. Uh, has you know has Jewish facial features and a beard and uh, is a tall and lovable lovable guy. I've seen the pictures. Yeah, I've seen the pictures. Have you seen Jesus's graduation picture? <laughs> <laughs> so Christ came to Earth to show us what He's like. Wow! Now we know what He's like, and how has that changed me at this point? Uh, not really much. Um. <clears throat> Jesus the example? Okay. People are listening to what you just said. You yeah. matter to God. And a lot of people, Rick, as you know, yeah. around the country right now, are facing unemployment. They're yeah. facing foreclosure. Yeah. They can't pay their bills. They won't be able to send their kids to college. And they say, yeah. well, if I matter to God, why did yeah. he put me in this situation? Yeah. How do you answer that to your 20,000 sure. plus congregants? Well, we live on a broken planet. The fact is nothing works here. No relationship. No economy. Uh, it, it's been broken since the beginning. And Why is it broken, Rick? Sin? Can you say the word sin? S-I-N. The re that's the reason why it's broken is because of our sin. All right, let's continue. That's why we pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven because it's done perfectly there. But what we need to do at Christmas time is really focus on people less fortunate than us too. Not just uh, receiving God's gift of, of salvation, but also saying, how can I make a difference? In Notice that NBC, the Today Show, this is not a Christian network. So he's literally getting in front of a huge, ginormous, non-Christian audience. Okay. Somebody else's life. It's it, you know Tony Robbins, who's the inspirational yeah. guru. There has that same theory. He says if yeah. you're really feeling bad about your own straits, go help someone in worse. Exactly, straits. absolutely. You see, most of the world would love to have our problems. They would love to. Uh, they'd love to be in debt. They don't have debt. They don't have any money in in their pocket. And uh, what if you're depressed? Which is the Christmas season is a season where people often get the blues, get stressed out, suicide goes up. You need to do two things. Turn to God and turn to somebody less fortunate than yourself. Turn to God. How are we supposed to do that if, if God is the one who draws us and we can't come to God, Christ or can't come to God unless the Father enables us to do that? This sounds like Pelagianism to me, folks. And notice what's, you know, Rick Warren is in front of a national audience discussing the purpose of Christmas and we're not hearing about our sin we're not hearing about Christ's death on the cross. We're not hearing about the, uh, repentance and the forgiveness of sins. No, Jesus came to uh, for our greatest benefit and uh, to solve our biggest problem. And then, you know, just do good things for other people because that will make you feel better. And make it so you won't commit suicide after partying too much in December. One of the major complaints, as I mentioned, you have 20,000 plus yeah. congregants uh, yeah. at, at your church. What's the main complaint? What's the number one you complaint you hear at this time of year? Try you know, the number one complaint at Saddleback, by the way, should be, my pastor twists God's word 
terribly, and he needs to stop doing that. But that's not the biggest complaint. To do too much in too little time. I mean, we just say, let's go write a card to everybody we've ever known. Right. Let's redecorate our house. Let's buy a gift for everybody we've ever known. Uh, let's go to five extra parties, and, and we add all this stuff in. Actually, uh, you could celebrate it in a whole lot simpler way. You know, we're going to have you back, I think, on Christmas Day. We're actually yeah. going to talk more. And I know you want people to ask themselves two questions yeah. on Christmas, and we'll talk about that then. But first, in advance, happy holidays. Thank you. Same to you. Good to have you here. And the book is called The Purpose of Christmas. And to hear more from Rick Warren, be sure to watch his interview with Ann. That's on Dateline, Friday, December 19th. All right, so that was his appearance on the Today Show. In front of a national secular audience, he has this incredible opportunity here. The name of the book is The Purpose of Christmas. It's all about Christ coming to earth. Run to you was born a savior, right? He could talk about all of the biblical themes, all of the gospel theme, themes, sin, rebellion against God, Christ coming to earth, living a perfect life, his righteousness being imputed to us by faith, uh, call for repentance and forgiveness of sins, and really preaching the gospel, right? Uh, well, he didn't even get close. <sighs> which made me muse on one of my websites that I think it's time that we have a recall. We need to recall Rick Warren because here's the deal. I never voted for who I would like to have representing me as a Christian on, on national television. And since we live in a democracy, I, I think there needs to be a recall. We need to recall Rick Warren and find somebody else who is willing to actually, you know, not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and, uh, and you know, <clears throat> preach it. Um, well, you know, maybe I'm just being negative. Anyway, uh, we're going to take our first break, and when we come back, we're going to pick up uh, we're going to pick up this topic and uh, take a listen to Rick Warren's appearance on the Hannity and Colm show. Again, plugging his book, The Purpose of Christmas, and uh, see how he he did on uh, that appearance. Um, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard so far and tell me how you can choose God, how you really think that the purpose of Christmas is doing something better for somebody else who's less fortunate than you are, or you just like partying and you're depressed and stressed out about it, you can do so. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. We'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Python's Flying Circus Church.
Thank you for downloading Rob Bell's Lectio Divina. This is a resource made available by Mars Hill Bible Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Lectio Divina is an ancient spiritual practice from the Christian monastic tradition, and in Lectio Divina we seek to experience the presence of God through reading and listening, prayer, meditation, and contemplation. Lectio Divina can be done as an individual or a group. Are you ready to begin? Yes, I guess I am. All right. Begin by choosing a section of scripture that you would like to read and pray. You can choose the text randomly, or use a liturgical book like the Book of Common Prayer. Try not to set a goal for how much content you will cover. The goal is to listen for and experience God and His presence. Um, I guess I'll go randomly then. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe, catch a scripture by its toe. If it's gospel, let it go. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Preparation for Lectio Divina. Next, do what you must to quiet and prepare yourself to hear from God. If you need to find a quiet room or sit in silence for several minutes or sit in a comfy chair, take whatever posture will help you prepare to receive and experience God's presence. Okay, let's see. I've got my comfy chair and... Oh, no. Hold on a second. You out there! How am I supposed to experience the presence of God if you're using a jackhammer? Shut up! Don't feel sorry about that, ma'am. Yeah, you better be sorry! Next, when you sense that your heart is prepared, begin by slowly reading the passage of Scripture that you have selected. Don't move too quickly through any sentence or phrase, and as you read, pay attention to what word or phrase or idea catches your attention. Okay, I don't know when I'm supposed to be ready. There's no, no, no kind of timer on me. Anyway, um, the passage of scripture. Judas hung him, himself. Judas hung himself. Judas hung himself? Next, begin to meditate on the word, phrase, or idea that captured your attention. Repeat it again and again. Hung himself. Hung himself. Hung himself. What thoughts come to mind as you meditate on this word, phrase, or idea? Suicide? What are you reminded of in your life? Um, an early death? What does it make you hope for? A different passage of scripture? Next, begin to speak to God. Tell God what word, phrase, or idea captured your attention and what came to mind as you meditated upon it. Lord, the phrase was, Judas... Hung himself. It's not a good feeling. How is God using this word, phrase, or idea to bless and transform you? How should I know that? Tell God what you have been thinking and feeling as you've listened and meditated. I'm feeling depressed. Tell God how you hope this word, phrase, or idea will change your heart to be more like his. This is rubbish! A complete waste of my time. I could be out trimming the petunias or burying the cat or something. If I'm going to experience God, I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way. Just open the Bible and read it. Don't be so silly and modern. Everybody knows that you can't experience God that way. Hi, I'm Patrick Kyle, a founding partner of New Reformation Press. Just as the first Reformation rediscovered, reclaimed, and restated timeless truths from the Word of God, 
The mission of New Reformation Press is to reintroduce these truths to the contemporary church and culture. All of our resources are handpicked to ensure that you have the best available biblical and doctrinal materials at your fingertips to help you grasp the treasures of the Reformation and deepen your own understanding of Christ and His work on your behalf. Browse our website at newreformationpress.com. We offer books, CDs, downloadable MP3s, and our very own line of Reformation-themed clothing. Check out the audio presentation, Bible in an Hour. Absolutely the finest overview of the scriptures that the staff at New Reformation Press has ever heard. Also, Dr. Rod Rosenblatt's presentation, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church. A stunning 200-proof presentation of the gospel for those who have been hurt by the church and discouraged as a result of false teaching. Available exclusively through NewReformationPress.com. Again, that's NewReformationPress.com. All right. <laughs> All right, so John and I are talking during the break. And John sometimes has some amazing insights, you know? He says, you know, Chris, Charlie Brown Christmas special, they get it clearer than Rick Warren did. So I'm going, no. It's like, yeah, actually, think about it. Yeah, it's true. So we had to look it up on YouTube. We'll play that here in a second. Okay. By the way, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebrone. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. My job on a daily basis is to dish up a daily dose of biblical discernment. And we just choose to ask the question, is this Christianity? Is what the Christian faith teaches, or is it something else? All right? And uh, that's what we do on a daily basis here. And uh, if, if you would like to help support this radio program, the way you do that is by supporting Pirate Christian Radio. And if you would like to send in your year-end gift to Pirate Christian Radio to support Fighting for the Faith, you can by uh, writing us at Pirate Christian Radio at uh, Post Office Box 791, San Juan Capistrano, California, 92693. That's Pirate Christian Radio, Post Office Box 791, SJC, California, 92693. And we could truly use your support for uh, for this outreach. All right, coming back to the question of, you know, what is the purpose of Christmas? Here we've got Rick Warren. Literally one of the most influential pastors in the world. Uh, there's nobody who's going to say, no, he's not influential like that. No, he's one of the most influential pastors in the world. He's out. Is, do they call it a junket? Or is that what they call it? I don't know. I don't know the real word for that. I, I'm probably going to mess that up. I'm not, you know. I, book tour? Book tour. He's out plugging his book. Okay. And so he's making the rounds. Out on you know, out on the uh, the, the the news shows, and uh, he went on the Today Show, and we didn't hear anything about the real purpose of Christmas. You would think that the most influential pa- Christian pastor, one of the most influential Christian pastors in the world, when he was on a news show in front of an audience of a whole bunch of non-believers, would um, exalt Christ and Him crucified, right? That didn't really happen. Let's listen to uh, Linus uh, from the Charlie Brown Christmas special. See how he handles the question of the purpose of Christmas. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? So that's that's Charlie Brown here. He's all upset because this is from the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Charlie Brown is all upset because he's asking the question: Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Okay. So let's 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 hear that again. Let's find listen to the answer here from the peanuts who seem to get it. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. He's now approaching the stage. He's going to announce this to the whole world. Lights, please. 
And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Well, yeah, there we go. Notice that uh, Linus uh, seems to have pinpointed on Christ. Linus did a far better job in that one minute and 13 seconds than Rick Warren did on four minutes on the Today Show. He quoted scripture. Yeah, he quoted the scripture, too. Yeah. Well, there's an idea. Well, Rick doesn't know how to do that. He only knows how to twist it. Okay, so we're going to move on to the next interview. And this interview took place on Hannity and Combs. And uh, let's see here. i got to make sure I can find it. Uh, here we go. This is Rick Warren on Hannity and Combs. We'll play the whole, uh, the, the, well, the, the full, before, they, the second half of the interview they got political. We'll play the first half where uh, where he, he's talking about the purpose of Christmas. So uh, here, here's Rick Two Warren. Weeks away from Christmas and as thousands prepare to celebrate it, well, it seems that few know the true meaning of the holiday. But one man who does understand what Christmas is all about is our good friend, Pastor Rick Warren, in his brand new book, The Purpose of Christmas. The Saddleback Pastor explains how Christmas is a time for celebration, salvation, reconciliation, challenges all to make this holiday season one that will change our lives forever. Pastor Rick Warren. Good to see you, Sean. I love the the, the purpose-driven life. It's it's impacted my life a lot. Thank you. And this is a great book. Thank you. We forget. We're all out shopping, and New York goes crazy, and we turkey and ham, and do we stop and think about what Christmas is about? You know, it's kind of like with Thanksgiving. Uh, On Thanksgiving, we do everything except give thanks. Speak for yourself. We have a great Thanksgiving service at our church. And uh, you know what we did in that? We gave thanks. Because maybe they don't have a Thanksgiving service at Saddleback. I, I don't know. I... <laughs> we, we, we we eat, we watch football, we have a good time with family. Almost nobody gives thanks to God at Thanksgiving, unless there's a short prayer before we eat. Can I ask you, are you as normal as as what you're describing? or you Because you're a pastor, yeah. and you, you're, you probably are better at this than, say, I am. I'm, I need to do better. Well, you know, in, uh, in uh, uh, the book that I talk about, I said Christmas is a time for celebration. So I'm not against decorating, putting on lights, buying gifts. In fact, the whole reason we give gifts is the wise men gave gifts to Jesus at the first Christmas. You know, what's funny is, is that that's not exactly true. The Issues Etc. just recently talked about the reason why we give gifts. I should put a link up to that Issues Etc. talking about St. Nicholas. Okay, that, that's just a historical point, though. That one can be debated, you know, but okay. And that started the gift-giving process. Right. But we've got to remember why Jesus came to earth. Uh, it, well, I, and it was for the... Okay, okay. 
He just said, we've got to remember why Jesus came to earth. I want you to pay real close attention to who answers that question. So let me back it up a little bit. Listen carefully. Who is it? Is it Pastor Rick Warren or somebody else that gives the answer to the question, why Jesus came to earth? Here we go. Give gifts is the wise men gave gifts to Jesus at the first Christmas, and that started the gift-giving process. Right. But we've got to remember why Jesus came to earth. It, well, I, and it was for the salvation of, of man's soul and reconciliation yeah. to God. You know, if God yeah, wanted, do I have to forgive Alan for Christmas? There was kind of that, that almost was gospelish from Sean Hannity, who was a, a ro- practicing Roman Catholic. Okay, um, a stuttering something about reconciliation, you know, and and stuff like so. That was, folks, I'm telling you, that's about as much gospel as you're going to get in this entire interview. And it wasn't even Rick Warren that was proclaiming the gospel. It was Sean Hannity who threw that kind of in there almost as an aside. Well, we continue. <laughs> Absolutely. And I start. Can I say something? <laughs> you know, he Can got everything he wants this right year. Here, you know, you we got Barack Obama we elected. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely, you know... <laughs> You know what? I'm 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 bound to be a bridge builder, and I'm here for a reconciliation because America does not want to see you guys split up. Well, he's he he abandoned me. Blame him. If you can bring us back together, then you really are gifted. Oh, okay, okay. He wants to wait for me. That no, 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 no. But in all honesty, as a Christian, you know what? You know what I find? I just took a few days vacation. I'll take some time around Christmas, and when you stop, you begin to realize, you know what? We we go at a pretty fast pace. And we don't really stand back and reflect a lot. And you, this book yeah. makes you reflect yeah. and think of the real purpose and meaning of life and things. Well, part of it is uh, one of the ideas I try to get across is uh, opening God's Christmas gift to you. If you gave me a Christmas gift. Now, this is very similar to what we heard on the Today Show. Opening God's Christmas present to you. Okay. Well, God's Christmas present to me was Christ. It was himself. Okay, he he gave me the gift of a savior. Let's see if we get to that. Does he even get to Linus level? You know. And I never opened it. And a year later, you go, "Hey, Rick, do you like my gift?" And I go, "Oh, well, Sean, I'm I'm really glad you gave it to me. Unfortunately, I was too busy to open it." You go, "What kind of friend are you?" And and first, I miss the benefit. Pack your bags. You're going on a guilt trip. Um, see, there's God up there going, "Man, I gave you this great present, and you never even opened it. What kind of friend are you?" It, you know he's he's trying to do a more friendly approach here, and you just got God coming off as somebody who's been you know slighted. You know, dude, I you know I, I gave you this great Christmas present, you didn't even open it, man. What's wrong with you? Oh 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 I'm, oh I'm sorry, God. Let me go open that. Up. You know, that, will that make you feel better? Will that get you to stop nagging me? But a gift, and second, you're kind of a little ticked off because I didn't open it. God has given us a gift in Jesus Christ, and people don't understand. It's for our benefit. One of the things. Hey, there it is. It's, okay, he's given us a gift in Jesus Christ, and it's for our benefit. Technically, this is correct. Proof is always in the pudding. How is he defining that? If I'm a non-believer and I'm listening to Hannity and Combs, okay, I'm watching this, uh, you know, one night uh, while he's on the Fox News. Okay, am I going to hear the gospel clearly presented? Right. That's the question. It says, for unto you is born this day a Savior. Right. They say, well, I don't need a Savior. Well, believe me, if you didn't need one, God wouldn't have sent it. Well, that, that's true. That's true. Okay, good, good, good. Why do I need a Savior? Because, because he wouldn't have wasted the time. Oh. And, and Jesus. 
because he wouldn't have wasted the time. Jesus meets every one of our deepest needs. And what we need... Jesus meets every one of our deepest needs? Have you have you ever seen the, that uh, ha, uh, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs? No. I should look this up. Stick with me a second, folks. Um, Maslow Hierarchy. Hierarchy. Maslow hierarchy. There's there's this thing called Maslow's hierarchy of needs. There we go. Let's see here. All right. uh, Jesus came to meet all of our deepest needs, a uh, physiological need. Okay. So according to Maslow, you know, the, the, you know, this is this idea that uh, you know there's all these different needs that we have. By the way, this isn't biblical at all. But you know, Jesus came to fulfill all of our deepest needs. Okay. Well, according to uh, Maslow, there's a hierarchy of needs that we have. We got the physiological needs. That means we have a need for breathing. Yeah, I need to breathe. How about you? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Just checking. Food, water, sex, sleep, homostasis, and uh, and uh, and and you know, bowel movements, excretion. So we have physiological need. So here's the deal: if you if you if you're not meeting these very basic needs, you're not going to care about the stuff that's above it. Okay. After that, you know, you have a need for security of the body, of employment, of resources, of morality, of the family, of health, and of property. So Jesus came for all of those needs too, right? Okay, Jesus came for all of our needs, our deepest needs. Friend, and after that, you got the the needs of love and belonging. You got friendship, family, uh, intimacy. Okay, and then you got above that, you got esteem, confidence, achievement, respect of others. Respect by others, and then after that, you got morality, creativity, spontaneity, problem solving, lack of prejudice, acceptance of facts. You know that's in the self actualization portion of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So Jesus came to meet our deepest needs. Is he referring to Maslow here? What's he referring to? This isn't exactly biblical language, so I'm I'm having a tough time tracking with him. Let me back it up a little bit and. So we can hear him in context, and we'll continue on with uh, Rick Warren talking about the purpose of Christmas on Hannity and Combs. God wouldn't have said it, because, uh, because he wouldn't have wasted the time. And, and Jesus meets every one of our deepest needs. And what we need to do is accept his gift of our past forgiven, purpose for living, home in heaven. Hey, Pastor. Okay, so there it is. Jesus' gift is a past forgiven, purpose for living, and a home in heaven. Really? Is it just my past that's forgiven? What about my present? What about my future? And what's this purpose for living stuff? Okay. Past forgiven, purpose for living, home. And it sounds Christian-ish, but we have to accept the gift. Uh, you know, in a Pelagian or semi-Pelagian way. Did you just say peed off? I can't believe you said uh, I might have. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let me ask you, you. You talk about, okay, so you think everybody needs a Savior. I do. But what about those people who don't, you know, not all, I happen to be Jewish, not yeah. everybody. Yeah. I, Jesus, by the way, and I have a lot in common with the same religion. Absolutely. So not everybody necessarily goes that route. Well, see, is that the thing the, is, Alan, I believe Jesus Christ came for everybody. I don't think... Okay, now, this is, this is, again, this is one of those ones where it just, something feels wrong in it, Okay. Alan Combs, who's a liberal and he's Jewish, has basically said, "Are you sure everyone needs a savior? You know, I'm Jewish. Jesus and I had the same religion, and and you know, and that's kind of the direction he's going. You know, do, does everyone have to accept Jesus? Kind of thing. 
And Rick Warren, I'll give him kudos for the fact that he um, will affirm the exclusive claims of Christ. But, I mean, up in, when he was dealing with Sean Hannity, who was an obvious fan of his, who's you know got a lot from the purpose-driven life and all the scripture twisting that goes on in that book, um, you know, threw him some softball questions. He had all this opportunity to proclaim Christ and the gospel and the real purpose of Christmas. And what it boiled down to is your past forgiven, a purpose for living in a home in heaven. And now we got Alan Combs asking the logical follow-up questions. Wait a second. Does everyone need a savior? Okay. Well, let's see what Rick does with this. He came for Christians. Uh, the Bible says, uh, "Take this good news." To- all right, let me back it up because that that didn't sound right. The way that got chopped because he doesn't. He, all right, let's here we go. Necessarily goes that route. Well, see, the that- thing is, Alan, I believe Jesus Christ came for everybody. I don't think he came for Christians. Uh, no. The Bible says, uh, "Take this good news to the whole world." I don't care whether you're Baptist, Buddhist, uh, Mormon, uh, Methodist, Jewish, uh, Muslim, or no religion at all. Jesus Christ still loves you. You still matter to God. Uh, true. And I- well, okay, okay, this is all well and good. Granted, okay, Christ died for the sins of the world. Okay. But this whole idea of Christ didn't come just for Christians, that's kind of a silly way of talking, isn't it? Because everyone who trusts in Christ is a Christian. Christian is a designation, a term that we use to describe somebody who trusts in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and believes that Christ is their Savior and trusts in Him exclusively. It's somebody who is a, you know, Jesus Christ, a Christian, right? So saying that Jesus didn't come just for Christians, it's kind of a slippery way of dealing with the language in the first place. No one's a Christian unless they trust in Christ. You can self-identify as a Christian all you want. If you don't believe in Jesus and trust in Jesus, you're not a Christian. So the term Christian is a term designated for somebody who trusts in Christ, has faith and belief in Christ. They're believers. So I don't really find his little play on words to be all that useful, but it is important to note that Christ died for the sins of the whole world. We are to go and preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations, right? Okay. So, all right, let's continue. I think that's a wonderful message, but if you don't accept Jesus, if yeah. you're not somebody who goes that route religiously, yeah. can you find your way to heaven? Can you still be well, going to the same place when it's all said and done? Are I'm not the authority good? on that, but I believe Jesus is. And everybody's betting their life on something. Jesus said, I am the way. I'm- okay. Okay. Half answer. And it's kind of a weaselly little answer. You know, it's like he's he's trying to dodge the implications of what this says. Hang on a second. We're... Got to open up the old computerized Bible here. By the way, I'm, I'm going to be trying out a new version of the computerized Bible very shortly here. Um, Logos has got a, a whole set of uh, software that they've come out with finally for the Macintosh. So um, I've got that. I've got that in order, and I'm going to give it a try. So I, I may not be faithful to Accordance anymore. But see, but see, then do I send one of my computers to that? Never mind. <laughs> Anyway, all right, so uh, I am the way. Okay, let's let's read this um, in context. Okay. All right, let's see. All right, so Jesus, he's quoting this. I am the way. Okay, this is John 14, starting in verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I, I, I would have told you. 
that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Oh, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can you say that we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father, and from now on you do know him. So here's the deal. He quoted the. He only quoted half the passage. Jesus says, "I am the way." It's more than that, Rick. It's Jesus says that no one comes to the Father except for through Him. Okay, you, you're right in saying that it's not your decision, or you know, the, you, maybe he's you know he's saying, "Well, I'm not the authority on that." Jesus is. I, I think it's smart of him to put this on Jesus' shoulder and basically say, but give us the full counsel here. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for through me. There is no other way. And, you know, and really punch it. You know, let's let's get the whole thing in here, but let's see what he does now. Betting yeah. is he's not a liar. Well, I, okay, I'm betting okay. that, he, that he told right. the truth. But what, about, what does that say for all those people who do not accept Christ as their personal Savior? I'm saying that this is the perfect time to open their life to give it a chance. I'd say give him a 60-day trial. Is that... <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, you heard that right. Okay. Pelagianism, at best, this is, this is not even right. Hang on a second here. Let me back this up because it's just, here we go. Accept Christ as their personal Savior. I'm saying that this is the perfect time to open their life to give it a chance. I'd say give them a 60-day trial. Is that yeah, a 60, 60 day trial? 60 day trial. Like the book of the month see book. if he'll change your life. I dare you. See if he'll change your life. I dare you. Give Jesus a 60 day trial. See if he doesn't change your life. I dare you. Whew, there's some prophetic preaching right there. I'm, you know, I just got. No, I didn't. Yeah, I was going to say I got goosebumps, but really I didn't. I got angry. Um,. Is is this what we're now reduced to? In our efforts to be seeker-sensitive, not offend anyone, hurt their self-esteem, we're now asking people to give Jesus a 60-day trial. Try Jesus. You know, what's funny about this is that, you know, when I think about that, one of the things that comes to mind is those guys who say, you know what, I don't know if I want to get married to that girl. Got to try her out first. Let's shack up. So this is like the, the the evangelistic version of shacking up with Jesus for 60 days and see if Jesus doesn't change your life. I dare you. What's this life change bit about? Where is sin? Where is repentance? Where's the forgiveness of sins? Where's the call to repentance? Where's the call to faith? Where's the where, where, where's the law in any of this? It's no, 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 no. You just... You see, it's all about this benefit stuff. You know, you got your past forgiven, a purpose for living in a home in heaven. See, it's all positive, 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 positive. Nothing negative. Oh, no, 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 nothing negative. No, 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 no. But, you know, and, you know, so here Alan Combs has asked him an honest, upright, academic question. If you are not a Christian, what's going to happen to you? The biblical answer is, well, then you need to face God via your own righteousness. You're going to have to stand before God and give an accounting of your life based upon your righteousness. How well have you done at the Ten Commandments? I've done a pretty miserable job myself. Um, but, yeah, you see, give Jesus a 60-day trial. Good night. 
We're going to go into our second break. When we come back, we're going to continue with this. And then we're going to ask the question, what does Rick Warren have in common with Joel Osteen? What's this? Uh, see if he doesn't make your life better stuff, because that's really kind of what's going on here. Um, anyway, um, we'll be we'll be right back. Um, if you would like to email me. That was a little loud. <laughs> if you would like to email me and let me know about your giving Jesus 60 days, you know, a chance to see if he changed your life. How did it go? You know, I think about the poor guy out in the uh, in Saudi Arabia who gives Jesus a try for sixty days and ends up dead, martyred. His life sure did change, didn't it? To room temperature. You can email me. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. My local Christian bookstore just sells Jesus schlock. Where can I find good material? We at NewReformationPress.com are committed to providing a hand-picked selection of books and teaching materials that educate, inform, and entertain while uniquely maintaining a relentless focus on the gospel. We believe that these forgotten doctrines and their scriptural emphases can not only enrich individual Christians and revive the church, but also address the deepest needs of our culture. Discover our growing library of resources by Dr. Rod Rosenblatt of the White Horse Inn radio program, including his powerful address, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church. Available exclusively at NewReformationPress.com Or the big picture audio presentation Bible in an Hour by Pastor Wade Butler. Learn the center and scope of redemptive history and scripture in just one hour. And of course, be sure not to miss our selection of t-shirts, gifts, and artwork as well. NewReformationPress.com Finally, Reformation Theology Made Accessible. Jesus. I mean, look at him. He's standing over there. He looks so lonely. He's got his hat in his hand. Here he's giving you this great Christmas present, and you haven't even opened it yet. Just try it for 60 days. Pretty please? Come on, I dare you. Jesus will make a difference in your life. Just try him for 60 days. That sounds ridiculous. It's just aggravating beyond belief. 
You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and we're in the middle of listening to uh, Rick Warren's recent appearances on some of the talk shows, plugging his book, The Purpose of Christmas, to see how well uh, he communicated the biblical purpose of Christmas. And uh, in the last segment, we left off with uh, Brother Rick um, basically telling Alan Combs from Hannity and Combs to... uh, Give Jesus a 60-day trial. Let me back that up so that you can hear it again, because it's just oh so wrong. Anyway, so here, here we go. we got Alan Combs asking the legitimate question. He's a Jew who doesn't trust in Christ. <sighs> all right. Truth. Well, what, about, what does it say for all those people who do not accept Christ as their personal Savior? I'm saying that this is the perfect time to open their life to give it a chance. I'd say give them a 60-day trial. Is that yeah, a 60, okay. 60, 60 day trial? Yeah, 60 day trial. Sounds like the book of the See if you'll change your life. I dare you to try right. trusting Jesus for right. 60 days. Right. Do you, your so, money guaranteed back. <laughs> but he doesn't answer the question. No, he doesn't answer the question. He completely dodged the question. I, I mean, that couldn't be it. I mean, that was skillfully done. I mean, he could might as well be a politician. Of course, he's appearing on a political talk show. Alan. Hannity and Combs, right? Isn't that what Hannity and Combs is all about? Yeah. One's on the right, one's on the left, and it's political talk. Skillfully, spinfully done. Give Jesus a 60-day trial. You know, let's just do a little comparative work here. Um, We're going to open up our Bibles. If you have your Bibles with you, we will be reading from Acts chapter 3. And I want to point something out to you in Acts chapter 3. And uh, this is a wonderful story. And I want you to see if the punchline here in Acts chapter 3 is give Jesus a 60-day trial and see if he doesn't make your life better. Right? Ready? All right. All right. Here we go. Acts chapter 3. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Okay? So we're in Jerusalem. It's not that long after Christ has ascended into heaven because Pentecost just occurred in chapter 2. So it's a little bit after that. Peter and John are on their way up to the temple for the hour of prayer, and it's the ninth hour. And a man who was lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask for alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly, uh, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's, uh, uh, this is Solomon's porch or Solomon's colonnade. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own piety we had 
made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life. (laughs) It hasn't taken me three minutes to read this, has it? No. This is a pretty brief little sermon. And what's he doing? Long gospel right in this sermon. So he's to the crowd. He's basically saying, you murdered Christ. You killed the author of life. So he gets right to the nub of sin, right? Okay. In this short little sermonette, if you would, what is Peter doing? He's evangelizing, right? Okay. Watch. Sorry, sorry. Let me back this up. Okay. And the God of Abraham. Okay. But you denied the holy and righteous one. You asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name by and in his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus Christ has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Wow, look at that. This guy received one of his one of his deepest needs, the ability to walk, right? Movement. And how did he receive it? Through faith in Christ. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, uh, he thus fulfilled repent therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing might come from the presence of the lord and that he may send the christ appointed for you jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring and all the things about which god spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of long ago moses said the lord god will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers and you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people and all the prophets who had spoken from samuel and to those who came after him also proclaim these days and you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant of god that the god made with your fathers say, uh, saying to abraham and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed god having raised up his servant sent him to you first to bless you by turning everyone from your wickedness how did Peter handle this little brief opportunity? He talked about sin, talked about, really nailed him to the wall, said, you killed the author of life, told him to turn from the wickedness, to trust in Christ so that their sins might be blotted out, and brought up all the prophets, right? <clears throat> Why is it that uh, we're abandoning this type of preaching? This type of evangelism, this time of pro- this type of proclamation of the truth, in favor of telling people to just give Jesus a sixty-day trial. Did Peter stand up and say, "You know, you know, you acted ignorantly. Just try Jesus for sixty days. I dare you. Try Jesus for sixty days and see if he doesn't change your life." Is that Christianity? No, he told he told them to turn from their wickedness. Told them to repent. And believe in the in in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. This isn't hard. This isn't rocket science. But that's exactly what Christ told the apostles to do in Luke chapter twenty-four. Reminding people here, 
Luke chapter 24, verse 46, Jesus says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Christ himself said that repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Does that include 21st century America? I would think so, yes. Now, you sure? How come how come he wouldn't exempt us from this? <laughs> I mean, does all really mean all? I mean, have have 21st century Americans now moved beyond uh having repentance and the forgiveness of sins? I no. Proclaimed to them? No, unless there's a a new Jesus I don't know about. Well, this is the new give Jesus a 60-day trial. This is the infomercial Jesus. This is the infomercial gospel. Now for three easy tithe payments of, you know, <laughs> just try Jesus for 60 days. And if he doesn't change your life, then pay nothing. Pay nothing. Isn't that what this is? Is an infomercial Jesus? Kind of sounds like that. Yeah. Yet, I don't see the apostles preaching this way. I see them proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ, which is exactly what all of us are called to proclaim and, and defend. Repentance and the forgiveness of sins, but no, not Rick Warren. Wouldn't want to do that repentance and forgiveness of sins. And he even, here, the, Peter says that uh, anyone who doesn't do this, they're doomed, right? <clears throat> not Alan Combs. And Peter was doing this with a Jewish audience. He was in Jerusalem to a Jewish audience, telling them that they needed to repent of their sins and trust in Christ. How come Alan Combs didn't get the courtesy of this message? Right? Or am I just being too narrow? Am I being too narrow? Probably. Doesn't make me feel good. Doesn't make you feel good? Yeah. Well, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if it makes you feel good. It, you know, but it's for your benefit. Jesus came for your biggest benefit, right? Isn't that how this works? Folks, there's something seriously wrong here. Something seriously wrong. When Rick Warren is literally out promoting a book that's supposed to be answering the question, what is the purpose of Christmas? And repentance and the forgiveness of sins, Christ's death on the cross, and all of you know those major biblical themes, the same themes that the apostles used, repentance and the forgiveness of sins, they are mysteriously and troublingly missing. You know, when did we as Christians move beyond repentance and the forgiveness of sins? And how is it that we can, the, the, the clarion call of the gospel is no longer repentance and the forgiveness of sins, but the clarion call of the gospel is now try Jesus for 60 days and I dare you and see if he doesn't change your life. Why should I try Jesus? Oh, oh, that's right, because... He came for my benefit, right? Isn't that how that works? Did he tell us how to, to try Jesus? Uh, no, he didn't. See, do you try Jesus with mustard? Do you try Jesus with, you know, maybe chips and salsa? What do you try Jesus with? <laughs> These are fair questions. You know, what do you try Jesus with? You know, I prefer my... You know, <sighs> yeah. This isn't the biblical Jesus we're talking about here. 
You know, Jesus doesn't say try him. He says, repent and believe the good news. You are a sinner who needs a savior. Think of the wickedness that you've done. Just examine your life in light of the Ten Commandments. This is a scary thing to do. I happen to have a copy of the small catechism with me here. Would you like to, uh, let's reflect. How are we doing? How are you doing in, in your life in light of the Ten Commandments? You don't think you're a sinner? Let's take a look here. <clears throat> you shall have no other gods. First commandment. You shall have no other gods. How, um, by the way, what does that mean? It means you should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Do you always fear, love, and trust in God above all things? I, I blow that one quite a bit. Yeah, me too. All right, so you and I are sinners. Okay, second one. You shall take. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. What does that mean? Well, it means that you should fear and love God so that you do not use his name or curse or swear or practice magic or lie or deceive, but in every time of need, call upon him, pray to him, praise him, and give him thanks. I'm shorting that one, too. Yeah, me too. Man... Okay, hang on. Um, third commandment. Here we go. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Well, what does that mean? It means that we should fear and love God so that we do not despise his word and the preaching of the same, but deem it holy and gladly hear and learn it. How, how do you do on that one? I'm pretty guilty on that yeah. one also. Yeah, me too. You and I are not doing so well. No. All right, fourth commandment. Here we go. Uh, honor your father and mother. Now, what does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we should not despise our parents and superiors or provoke them to anger, but honor, serve, obey, love, and esteem them. Okay. Not so good there. Okay. So uh, the first four, we're not doing so hot. No. Okay. All right. Fifth commandment. Um, you shall not kill. <laughs> this sounds a lot easier. I haven't done that one yet. Wait a second. Here it says... What does this mean? It means that you should fear and love God so that we should not uh, so that we should not endanger our neighbor's life or cause him any harm, but help and befriend him in every necessity of life. Every necessity. Um, no. I'm five false short yeah, again. Me too. Okay. Okay. So we're five for five here. We're striking out. Sixth commandment: uh, You shall not commit adultery. <laughs> this is really easy, right? <clears throat> we should fear and love God so we do not lead so that we uh, should lead a chaste life and pure life in word and deed and each one loving and honoring his wife or her husband as Christ said if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart you've committed adultery okay not so good there no. either seventh commandment you shall not steal okay well no I'd remember stealing when I was a kid man hang on a second uh, what does this mean that we should fear and love God so that we should not rob our neighbor of his money or property or bring them into our possession by dishonest trade or by dealing in shoddy wares, but help him to improve and protect his income and property. Uh, no, 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 haven't done that. No, no, okay. Seven for seven. We're not doing so good, John. No. Eighth commandment. You shall now not bear false witness against your neighbor. In other words, don't lie, right? What does this mean? It means that we should fear and love God so we do not tell lies about our neighbor or betray, or slander, or defame him, but should uh, should apologize for him, speak well of him, and interpret charitably all that he does. Can't can't mm. say I've done that one, man. Okay, eight for eight. We're um... all right. I, okay. Um, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. Oh, I didn't know I screwed that nah. one up. <laughs> all right, next one. Um, you shall not cover your neighbor's wife, his manservant, maidservant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbors. No, yeah, I've done that one. Yeah. yeah. All right. Ten for ten. I'm a perfect sinner. Yeah. How did you do, folks, uh, listening in on this little exercise? Okay. Just examining your life in light of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not good. No? No? no. So um, 
if you were to have to stand before God and give an accounting of all of the good and bad things that you've done, how do you think your bad deeds would uh, stack up? Bad deeds would stack up very well. Yeah, mine too. Too well. And it's not like so many people have this misunderstanding that I'm just basically a good person and we're going to stand before God and God's kind of like this old grandfatherly type person, you know, with a little nose glasses on the end of his nose, a little forgetful. And he's just, oh, just stand on the scale over here. And what we'll do is we'll put your good deeds over there on the one side of the scale, put your bad deeds over on that side of the scale. And if, you know, they, if the good deeds outweigh the bad deeds, then you're in. It's this simple, right? No. Every time you commit a sin, you are guilty of breaking the entire law, James says. And God is a holy and just God and has every right to throw you in hell and to throw me in hell. But the good news of Christmas is is not that is not that story that or it's not that oh come come and try harder. Do harder, right? Okay, do harder and things will be better. That that's 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 not it. Okay? Listen to the Christmas story, Luke chapter 2. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This took place in time and history. This is something that actually happened. You could take a video crew back in time to to you know to Israel at this time. At the time when the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, this was the first census when Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and all went up to be registered, each in his own town, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house in the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in the manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news, and great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among uh, among those with whom God is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went in haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. This is an amazing story. The city of David. God tells this amazing story to shepherds. Really in honor of King David. Right? Very common. Right. Very common. Jesus was born in a barn. But what is it? This is great news of great joy, for unto us is born a Savior. All of the demands that the law makes upon your life, the Ten Commandments that we read that none of us keep or has kept, God has provided for us a Savior. So it's a celebration, a celebration of the forgiveness of sins. The first Christmas. Right. 
It's a celebration of the forgiveness of sins, the announcement of the forgiveness of sins, won for us on the cross of Jesus Christ through his blood that God has purchased for himself out of all nations men who trust and believe in him through his blood. It's the blood of Christ. And this first Christmas points us to that. Not hard to do. Not hard to proclaim. Repent of your sins, therefore, and receive this good news for the forgiveness of your sins. Not hard to do. Anyway, we asked the question now. We're going to segue. Man, I hate to segue out of that because that's some good stuff. We're going to ask the question now because Rick Warren said, try Jesus for 60 days. I dare you see if he doesn't change your life. Is that what Christianity is about? Is about life change? Is that the central message of Christianity? Well, we're going to play some Larry. This is uh, Joel Osteen appearing on Larry King Live with his uh, wife, Victoria, a.k.a. Uh, Heresy Barbie. And uh, let's. this is from, uh, I think this is from a, a couple of years ago. But, you know, by the way, Joel Osteen and his wife, Victoria, appear on uh, CNN tonight on Larry King Live. So this is kind of a little bit of warm-up because I'm all excited about that because I'm sure there'll be just some great, juicy, self-incriminating stuff. But let's see if you can hear some of the same themes from Joel Osteen as you hear from Rick Warren. Turn the attention back to God because obviously, you know, that's our focus is to draw people closer to Him. But I don't think sometimes sometimes it's just natural that they see you and you've helped them that, you know, we always try to turn it the other way. You can't say you don't like it. Well, he's talking about well, being a celebrity. You know, how's he handle being a celebrity? You know, it's flattering to people to stop you and say that you've helped them and all. But again, you know, you've got to stay humble because as quick as you came up, you can come down. So we try to turn it right back around and give the credit to God. What do you think of celebrity to Victoria for your husband? Well, I think that, that society does that. That they love, we love celebrities. And so I think that they really look at him as, as not really a celebrity, but someone they can identify with. That's the way I look at it. When they see him, they realize, you know what, he's helped me. We hear so much of that, Larry. Oh, okay. See, Joel Osteen, who doesn't preach Christ and him crucified, barely even mentions sin at all, and basically says that uh, discover the champion within you. What are they saying? Well, they're, they're excited because of uh, because of all the people who've been helped by him and how their lives have changed. You know what? Just try Joel Osteen for 60 days and see if it doesn't change your life. Right? It's the same argument, isn't it? Uh, let's continue. We hear so many good reports. What does that do for your ego? Well, you got to keep it all intact. I don't feel like I'm any different than I was seven or eight years ago when I was working behind the scenes. And, you know, I have a good family around me. And I start off every day, the first half hour, just searching my own heart, reading my Bible, spending time in prayer. If you were to search your, you know what, if I were to spend some time searching my own heart, I would be really embarrassed to uh, ex explain to anybody what it is I found in there. Yeah, wicked, sinful man. Okay, we continue. Things like that. I think if you can keep your compass right, then, uh, you know, hopefully you'll stay on the right track. The Christian, basic Christian concept is forgiveness, right? Okay, he's got this right. The basic Christian concept is forgiveness. Okay. Right. That's right. So is that the other day Donald Trump forgave the Miss USA well, pageant winner morning, for apparently leading exactly a kind of weird life, a tawdy life, and urged her to get rehab? Is that something you encourage? 
think so. I mean, we all need a second chance sometimes, and so... Second chance. Is that what forgiveness is, is a second chance? No. That's a... Being forgiven is being yeah. forgotten. Right. So if forgiveness is having a second chance, then if you blow it, can you be forgiven again? Or do you get a third chance, a fourth chance, a fifth chance? There's something deficient in his concept of forgiveness here. I think it is. We need to, you know, restore people. We need to show mercy. I mean, with as much mercy as you show people, that's the mercy you're going to be received. Is it hard to forgive the Christ? Really, uh, that's kind of a twist on the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That is not quite the same, though, is it? All right, we continue. A lot of things we, we're supposed to do are hard to do, but we can do them. They're always beneficial. There it is. That's the same thing as Rick Warren. You know, beneficial. The the good, the right things to do are hard to do, but they're be- they're always beneficial, right? <laughs> See, we got to do these hard right things because they're beneficial to us. You know, there are there are literally scores of countries across the world that if you confess Jesus Christ to be King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that you say that you trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins and you tell people to repent of their sins and trust in Christ, that uh, the difference it's going to make in your life is one where you will go from somebody who's breathing to not breathing. You will go from actually being, you know, having a a temperature of 98 point whatever degrees uh, down to absolute room temperature. Um, I don't know if he's, you know, and John asked the question if Larry King is a Jew. I don't know if he is. He might be. But uh, so Jesus can make a big difference in your life for sure. Be careful what you ask for, though. But I don't think that's what the Osteens are talking about. Let me continue. Some things that are hard are beneficial. So, yeah, sometimes it is. Martin Luther King uh, told me once in an interview that he he loved the sinner and hated the sin. And it always amazed me how you can do that. Sometimes it's hard, but I think you have to look at the person, you know, especially a lot of the people that are hurting, do crazy things. When, when you go back and, uh, you know, put yourself in their shoes, you realize a lot of times maybe they weren't, you know, had a lot of things against them to start with, the way they were raised or other things in life. So I think that's the way you can do it. You just have to separate them and think, you know what, that person has a good heart to begin with, did some crazy things. Or maybe- the person has a good heart to begin with. Really? Is that what the Bible teaches? That everybody basically has a good heart to begin with. They may have done some crazy things, some misguided things. But just, they just need a second chance to get on track. Really? Uh, let's... Alright, time for some more Bible. Yeah, what's our attitude towards God? Um, not good. Very bad, actually. Um, Romans chapter 2. Mm, man, this is crazy stuff. Actually, I think we're going to go three. Romans chapter three. All right. What then? Are we Jews any better off? Well, no, not at all. For we've already charged that all, this is verse nine of chapter three, that all, both Jews and Greeks are under sin. It is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become 
worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And in their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's a pretty miserable description of humanity, isn't it? There's another passage. Um, let me see if I can find this real quick. I think it's in the prophet Jeremiah. And it's something about the heart uh, deceitfully wicked. Just doing a little search here. Uh, not the hearth. Oh, Roseboro, you need to learn how to spell. The heart is deceitfully wicked. Um, yeah, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Oh, there it is. Jeremiah chapter 17. Here we go. Jeremiah... 17. Listen to this. Um, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. This is 17.7. Who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. But the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, and who can understand it? Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things Who can and desperately sick. Who can understand it? What do you think? you think people basically have a good heart? I would say no. No. Again, this is, this is something completely different than Christianity. If you think that people basically have a good heart, then you do not understand the number one problem that, that in the world, and that's man's sinfulness and rebellion against God. And this is a man who was a Christian pastor in the largest church in America. They call it a church, right? And he's misdiagnosed the problem? He doesn't even know enough about his Bible to know what the problem is? This is Pelagianism. Well, let's continue. Made some bad choices, but you got to get back to the to the heart of the person. By the way, how big is your church? Well, the auditorium seats sixteen thousand. It's the old compact center. And we have four services each weekend, and I don't know between thirty and forty thousand people come out each weekend. And it's telecast. It does. Uh, all of them are telecast. Yeah, all the weekend services are. I mean, uh, they are, and goes out all over the world. Do you do different services? I do. I do. Victoria and I do three services: uh, Saturday night and two Sunday morning friend of ours, Marco Swit, he does a Spanish service at 1.30. You write them all yourself? I do. I write all my sermons. Yeah, he does, because they, they're not from the Bible. God didn't write them. All right. Now, let's discuss some of the recent allegations dealing with hypocrisy mm -hmm. and the Christian church. All right, now, let's see, he's going to bring something that is really valid. And, folks, you want to get rid of hypocrisy in the Christian church? Preach the law to convict everybody of their sins, including you. Okay, uh, here's the deal. Um, you're, it's going to be hard for you to charge me with allegations of hypocrisy um, when I am just went through the entire Ten Commandments and went, oops, did that one, did that one. Ten, I got a perfect ten, 10 out of 10 on the Ten Commandments as far as biffing it. Okay, I don't claim to be anything other than a sinner, a wretched sinner, a complete beggar. I don't claim to be holier than you. I've, when I examine my life in light of the law, what I see is a sinner. And what do I? The righteousness I have is given to me. It's imputed to me. 
I've been declared justified, declared saved, declared righteous by God on account of Christ, not on account of Chris. So if, if we were to actually preach the law to condemn everybody of their sins, including the preacher, we wouldn't have problems like this. But if you preach that Christianity is about life change and, and there's a whole bunch of people who are really committed, those are the ones who are keeping the law. And then you've got some mediocre people who are kind of lukewarm, who are not quite committed. And then everybody else, those are just, you know, your, your backslidden, you know, fleshly, worldly Christians who are probably going to hell anyway because they, they're not trying hard enough. When you have those strata set up, you don't even understand what Christianity is. And much of evangelicalism preaches that way. Okay, so here we got uh, Larry King asking the question about hypocrisy. And he's going to bring up, um, uh, well, I forget his name. Let's listen. Mr. Haggard. Oh, that's right. Ted Haggard. Yeah, the railing against homosexuality. And it turns out that he's a railing homosexual. Right. Yeah, let's go. Rails against homosexuality and homosexual marriage and turns out to be one. How do you explain that or deal with it? You know, it's hard. It just, I don't know. We, we, we know Ted and his family. It just, it shows me, I guess, Larry, that all of us have things that we struggle with. And you have to stay. Uh, no, no, Joel. All of us are sinners. You know, here's the here's the thing is that Joel and and Rick Warren seem to have this in common, this complete aversion to talking about sin. All of us have things that we struggle with. No, 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 they're called sins. We actually are ticking God off by our wickedness and we deserve his wrath. And there's literally going to be millions and billions of people. I don't know how many, lots of people who are going to be in hell for eternity, experiencing God's wrath for these things that they've committed called sins. They're rebellious against God. Hey, hey, hey. They open. I read where Ted said that uh, he felt like he lost his battle when he kept it all inside. You have to have, you know, people around you to help you when you're dealing with things like that. And you need to hear the forgiveness of sins proclaimed in Jesus Christ. That's the solution. The reason why he was keeping all of that inside is because there's no forgiveness. There's no gospel. And, uh, you know, integrity is the name of the game. You know, I'd rather get up and say, you know what, I'm struggling with this issue. I need some help. But uh, I don't know. It's, it's a difficult thing. But don't you get angry at the hypocrisy of railing against something that you're doing? Well, I don't know if angry is the right word, but it's sad. You know, it's really sad that um, you see that happen and just um, sad for him, sad for others. But uh, I don't know. That's just the word that hits me is a sadness. What are you, what's your view of, of, of homosexuality? Now, th this is going to be one of the few times you're going to hear Joel Osteen use the word sin. And watch how reluctantly he uses it. It's like It's like... Larry King here is like pulling teeth and he's actually got his pliers on the on the tooth and he's going to extract it. Watch this. Well, to me, Larry, it's not God's best. It's not. You know. Oh, it's just not God's best. <sighs> it's just not. See, adultery, it's just not God's best for you. You know, lying, it's just not God's best. You know, um, you know, taking the Lord's name in vain, it's just not the best that God has for you. Coveting, you know, it's just not God's best. <sighs> now, the scripture clearly defines that it's, it's not, it's considered a sin. And, but you know what? He looks so terrible. He looks like he's in so much pain. Yes, it's a sin. 
We're all sinners. What? There's a fine line. So is lying. So is cheating. So is having an adulterous affair. So I think we have to be careful not to beat people up. Our church has always been open to everyone that wants to come, regardless. Because they all have a good heart. Regardless of who you are. And so we've seen people overcome things like that. So I don't like to take the easy way out and people say, well, that's just me. I think there's, you know, we all have struggles. I think that we can overcome things like that. But oh, I think we can overcome. No, how about there's forgiveness offered in Jesus Christ for all of those sins? Is it that we overcome these things, or that Christ has overcome them for us and is offering us complete and full pardon on account of His death on the cross for our sins? See, there's a difference, a huge difference here. We continue. Well, how could something be a sin if you don't choose it? Loaded question. How can something be a sin if you don't choose it? Well, did any... Did, John, did you choose to be a sinner? No. You know, actually, that's not exactly true. I was born that way. Yes, you were born a sinner, but did you, here's the deal. The people who decided for you that you would be a sinner were Adam and Eve. They perfectly represented you. <laughs> They were sinless in the Garden of Eden, and um, they chose to rebel against God, therefore making the choice for you. But the decision was made for you by them, and if you were there, you would have done it too. Oh, yes. So um, so the thing is, Larry, we're all sinful, sinners by nature. This is what sinners do, okay? So does that somehow let us off scot-free? Because, well, I was born this way. Well, yeah, you're right. You were born this way. And there's a reason why you were born that way. Because our first parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God. And now we are, by nature, sinners. Children of the devil. Jesus describes us as that. You see the problem? You know, this this whole argument about, oh, they were born that way. That is a completely moot issue. We were all born sinners. Well, I think that's the debate, and I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I think... Do you have any biblical answers, Joel? Any? You don't have all the answers. Who cares? You don't have to have them all. You just have to have a few. A couple of biblical arrows would be nice for you to have in your quiver here. Sometimes, we, I don't think we can say everybody doesn't choose it. I think sometimes we do choose things. Or we have to, you know, maybe, you know, for instance, Larry, maybe I have... A, or just a male has a, and I'm married, and I have tendencies toward another female. You know what? I have to say, you know what? I can't do that. That's not right. That's, you know, the Bible teaches, you know, that I have to d be disciplined in those areas. I think some, many times it's, it's in that same What way. do you say to the gay person who might be in your congregation and says, you know, you, you preach about family and family values. I like that idea. Family's wonderful. I'd like to marry my partner. You know what? I just never encourage it because, you know, our... I, I would just never encourage it. <sighs> just can't get him to take a hard biblical line anywhere, can you? <laughs> I just wouldn't encourage it. <sighs> didn't make the rules, but if you go back to the scripture, it talks about, you know, it's all seen throughout the whole Bible that marriage is between a man and a woman. So I just wouldn't encourage it. I couldn't go in good faith, you know, letting the Bible be my... My guide, you know. So the Bible's his guide, but he wouldn't dare actually say to somebody, you are a sinner and you need to repent and believe the good news. That's what Christ said. You know, Luke 24 again. I just got to keep coming back to it. Got to keep coming. You know, I'm beginning to sound like some kind of a ridiculously broken record. 
Luke 24:46. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Folks, how... How do you get somebody into the kingdom of heaven if you don't even get to the thorny issue of repentance? Dealing with repentance makes you have to deal with the very real issue of men's sin and wickedness and the deceitful heart and the and the in the ways in which they have rebelliously actively been at war with God and that they have to repent. But he's not doing that. I you know, I just you know and I just wouldn't encourage it. And, you know, it's just not the best that God has for you. And, you know, I just want to be positive and I don't want to be negative. Don't want to beat up on people. Don't want, don't want to, don't want to, don't want repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Do you think John the Baptist was, was at the Jordan River saying, oh, I wanted to say to you Pharisees that you were brood of vipers and whitewashed tombs. That's so negative. You know, it's just not the best. You see that whole Pharisee thing you're doing? It's just not God's best for you. And try Jesus for 60 days. You know, and tell me if he doesn't make your life better. I dare you. <laughs> We've exchanged the boldness of prophetic preaching regarding the gospel of Jesus Christ for this. This is some kind of evangel- evangelical castrati that we're dealing with here. It's just not his best. Just, you know, we continue. Encourage them in that. But the Bible isn't Texas's guide or Louisiana's guide. Sure. Well, that's the thing, Larry. Like, kind of like you said, you know, I don't believe in pushing stuff down people's throat. I mean, different people have different callings. My calling is love, forgiveness, mercy. Let me help you be the best that you can be through the scriptures. And so. But no repentance, no forgiveness of sins. Very similar to, to Rick Warren. Just try Jesus for 60 days. Like the idea of civil union. Where a state pronounces at least that two people get the rights of marriage. You know, Larry, I have not thought about that. I, I don't really spend much time thinking on that. I, I think that, you know, anything that contradicts the Bible, I wouldn't be something I could, you know, I could agree with. It's because of your faithfulness, your generosity. Your... <sighs> I just don't think on that. I just don't think about it. You know, I just, anything, you know, you know he, he wants to be a Christian, but he doesn't want the shame of the cross you know <clears throat> what does one first corinthians one and two say you know let's see <clears throat> all right here we go first corinthians chapter one verse 18 we start listen to this for the word of the cross is folly or foolishness, really. That's a that's a good Greek word there. For those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. So where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than all men, and the weakness of God is stronger than all men. He's trying to find a way to be a Christian without that foolish cross thing. 
and boy, you know, he's really contorting himself into all kinds of different positions in order to avoid having to take that hard line, repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Hey, <sighs> we continue. Your willingness to get behind the vision. The credit goes to my they're, mom, they're, my dad, a the original members that have from stuck with church. us through the years. I can honestly say that the privilege has been all mine. Man. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me today? Thank you so much. Arguably the most uh, popular preacher in America. Maybe the successor to our friend Billy Graham. Uh, Joel Osteen and his... Joel Osteen, the successor to Billy Graham. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Wife, Victoria. Uh, you don't preach much about sin. <laughs> you don't talk about Satan a lot. Why? Well, I think I do in a sense. I don't maybe... I don't know if I necessarily call it uh, sin per se, but I'll talk about being faithful in relationships and... Uh, living a life of integrity and things like that. And, and then, you know, some things people don't see at the end of the broadcast and the end of the services where I give a salvation call like Billy Graham every week, to, you know, for us to repent of our sins. And I mean, it's the foundation of our faith. But I do feel like as a pastor, I'm called to help teach people live their everyday lives and feel like my greatest gifting is in encouraging them, you know, helping them become all God's created. Repentance and the forgiveness of sins. That's what... I'm beginning to sound like a broken record here. Luke 24:46. <clears throat> Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Isn't that what Peter preached in Roman in Acts chapter 3 that we saw here? Remember when we talked about Paul when he went to see the Ephesian church on his way to Jerusalem? He talked about repentance and the forgiveness of sins. There's We got Joel Osteen here, but I kind of sort of, in my own kind of way, talk about sin. But I call it faithfulness. And, and There's no repentance. This is repentanceless Christianity. Or is it hard to be? A, is it hard to lead a Christian life? Not really. I mean, you work at it. You have. It's not hard to live the Christian life. Not really. It's, it's you work at it. To practice it, you can't just sit back and it happen to you. You practice it, and you know you you just don't always. Or you're not always perfect. And have doubts. Yeah, that's called sin. You're not always perfect. Yeah, <laughs> you're not always perfect. That's called sin. Ah, <sighs> uh, doubts. Yeah. yeah. Sure, your mind doubts, but you don't let your, you just, you work on keeping your heart steadfast. I mean, the heart is deceitfully wicked. You see a thing like Katrina, mm. you doubt, so? Well, wasn't, I don't, It wasn't man-made. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if you doubt, it's just part of the times that we're living in. And um, I just, you know. How about the uh, whole creation groans because of our sin? You know, this passage is like that. You ever heard of that one, Pastor Osteen? Maybe I'm the eternal optimist, but I try to turn it around say God's still in control. And I was down there the other day in New Orleans and to see the strength of the people and the pastors rebuilding and things like that. So I don't know. You just, I don't think you can let things like that shake your faith. How'd you two, you met at a basketball game? No, he came in my family's jewelry store to get a battery for a watch. I thought it was a basketball game. I'm wrong. That was my first date. That was our first date. First date. He yeah. took me to the best. Oh, I see. You met before that. Right? Yeah, that was our first date. We did. I took her to a basketball game there at the Compact Center where we have church now. And, uh, you know, they did a year and a half and got married after that. Yeah. Uh, why a basketball game on a first date? Well, it's, I was a big sports fan. 
and I had uh, tickets, and I thought this is what I love to do, and she was kind enough to go with me, and we had a good time. Were you a minister then? No, I wasn't. My, I worked for my father, who was a minister, who started Lakewood, the church that we're at now, and uh, so I worked behind the scenes with my father doing production and things like that. Grew up as a preacher's kid. Why has the church grown so much? I don't know what it is, Larry. I mean, I can't put my finger on one thing. I think that, you know, it's, you know, maybe it's the fact that it's positive and hopeful and got some new life and energy in it, but it continues to grow. I'm sure a lot of it is God's blessings and honoring of my father who worked there for 40 years and helped a lot of people. I get to reap that now. What about money? Do you make a lot of money? Well, I do through my book royalties. I don't take a salary at the church, but, you know, God's blessed me, you know. With, I never dreamed my book when I wrote my book. You know, I didn't write it for money. I thought if it sold twenty, thirty thousand copies, they told me it'd be doing good. I didn't know it was going to sell four million copies. I didn't know it'd take off like that. But just again, God's blessings. Are you writing another one? I am. I've got one coming out. <laughs> That's about all I can handle. <laughs> so, the, Rick Warren and Joe Osteen have a lot in common. I remember when I was at the Purpose Driven Community Conference, uh, Rick basically said that he preaches for repentance, but he just never calls it that. See, he teaches people how to do the right things, and then you know, and and then by doing the right things, they've repented. But he just doesn't—he doesn't tell them to repent. Joel Osteen does the same thing. It's this this uber positive thing to never say anything negative. Is this really the full counsel of the Word of God? No, I don't think so at all. I don't think so at all, which is the reason why when Rick Warren was out making his tour and his rounds regarding the purpose of Christmas, he, uh, we never really heard the purpose of Christmas, except for in very veiled, somewhat cryptic terminology. Christ came for your deepest need. What's my deepest need? Um, well, you need a Savior. What do I need a Savior for? Well, <laughs> uh, just try Jesus for 60 days and see if he doesn't change your life. I dare you. I dare you. Can I go to, can I, can I get into heaven if I don't believe in Jesus? Uh, just try Jesus. Just open yourself up and try Jesus. That's what happened, right? The same hemming and hawing, the same dodging and weaving, the same ducking and covering as Joel Osteen. And ultimately, it's all for your benefit anyway. Just try it. Is that the Christian gospel? Or is this the kind of message that uh, Paul warns us about in uh, in Second Timothy chapter 4? You know, where he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. There's some negative things in there to do, right? For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wandering off into myths. Yeah. By the way, just if you really want to know the, the purpose of Christmas, John has a great idea. Don't, don't buy Rick Warren's book. Just watch the Charlie Brown Christmas special. You'll get more gospel in that than you will in Rick Warren's book. All right, we're at the end of our broadcast day. I would like to thank you for staying with us. I did, ended up going two hours. I Man, I didn't know if we could do it. I just... Uh, Roseboro gets long-winded from time to time. <laughs> Some of you are listening going, from time to time? Have you ever heard your show, Roseboro? <laughs> 
Anyway, if you would like to uh, email me regarding anything that you've heard today, Joel Osteen, Rick Warren, The Purpose of Christmas, Linus, Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. We're putting up a website specifically for them, by the way. Um, email me, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Until next time, God bless you.